You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Business with Purpose podcast. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome, welcome. There are over 30 other episodes in the archives that you can check out. And if this is your weekly routine is to to listen to the show, thank you. You guys have no idea how much your support means to me. Uh, Be sure, if you haven't already, to head on over to iTunes and click subscribe and also to leave a review for the show. That helps us get the show out there. That helps us uh, get the show to other people. And that helps us just spread the message of these amazing entrepreneurs and these amazing businesses that we're sharing through this podcast. My guest today is Amy Barty, who is the founder of Clothed in Hope, a nonprofit organization that is working with artisans in rural and urban areas of Zambia. And she is creating just this amazing program where she's got education and training and sustainable living income to help prevent the orphan crisis in Zambia. Amy's story is inspiring, and I know you will love my conversation with her. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I am excited because I have, I mean, you're here in the studio. And so the live in-person studio recordings always just are just a little bit more fun because I feel like we're actually hanging out except there's like microphones in between us and we're wearing headphones and there's like foam like egg crates on the walls it's pretty normal right yeah it's like a normal yeah it's normal normal hangout yeah like a normal (laughs) friday afternoon (laughs) um so amy uh you are the founder of clothed in hope um so before we get into all that clothed in hope does and all that good stuff Mm -hmm. you need to give us the amy 101 so tell us your story um, yeah. and um, everything that, you know, that has happened in your life that has led you to where you are today. Absolutely. So I'm Amy Barty. I am 27, which I totally forgot about the other day. And I was like, oh, I'm not 26. I'm 27. <laughs> um, oh, I forget my age all the time. I know. It's just I don't keep track of it anymore. So I grew up here in Cary, North Carolina. I'm now living in Fuquay. I'm married. Went to the University of South Carolina, which was pretty impressive for us a few weeks ago with the March Madness craziness. Yeah. Graduated from there with a fashion merchandising degree and started Clothing Hope when I was a junior in college um, after I had went to Zambia for a six-week mission trip. So I had dreams to be in New York, to do fashion buying, fashion journalism, and then that trip just changed everything. Yeah. So my path is now completely different than what I thought it would be, but it's really exciting. Yeah. So what happened on that trip to Zambia that introduced you to, or just kind of shifted your thinking and, and you know, you, you were like, you know what, I'm, I don't think this is actually what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something totally mm-hmm. different. It was even during the trip where I was convinced that I would never be back, but I saw that there were children in this orphanage we were volunteering at. And I got to learn their stories. Obviously, it was harsh conditions. We were in the middle of a slum. Um, so we saw a lot of poverty that I had never seen before. And then we started getting a translator to talk to these children. We learned that most of them still have at least one living relative. Most of them still have one living parent. But yet they found themselves in this impoverished orphanage. And for some reason, that like rocked my world when I was 20 years old. 
And I thought about how heartbreaking it must be to be a mom who has to give up your child to live at a place like that yeah, and not be able to take care of your kid. And that was heartbreaking. So the wheel started turning. It was six months after I got back when the idea started really being formed in my head and my heart. And the Lord was saying, I think that you need to try this. Like what plans you had for yourself aren't going to be the plans that I have for you. So that's when I started entertaining the idea that I could do something like this when it wasn't really the norm back then. There wasn't all this social movement, justice movements like there are today. So I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew that I wanted to empower women as a means of orphan prevention. And that was kind of the heart of it all. Yeah. So for people that aren't familiar with Clothed in Hope, tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about what Clothed in Hope does, um, what your mission is, you know, how people can get involved. Give us kind of the overview. We are equipping and empowering women in Zambia through business and sewing education. So we run a 12-month training course that is accessible for women in these impoverished communities. We take 15 women per class. We run about four or five classes at a time. And they learn everything from how to thread a needle to how to make dresses and custom designs without a pattern. And I can't even do that. So it's pretty amazing. That is amazing. Um, And then we also partner with entrepreneurial classes so that when they graduate, they don't just have a cool skill, but they can open their own tailoring shops in their communities. So our whole dream is sustainable impact there, seeing women empowered to open their own businesses for the benefit of them, their families, and their communities. Yeah. Now, do you sell the clothing or so people can shop online? And what are the main things that you guys are producing Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, was was there an end to that question? No, there wasn't actually. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the women who make the clothes who are doing their tailoring businesses are all going to be selling locally. And we did that for more of a sustainable impact. So even if I disappeared one day, then they would still be able to function. I love it. Um, So they all have their own businesses there. And on the side, we run a collection together. We do a collection every six months or so. And it's more of a collaborative design effort where I'll bring some ideas like, hey, ladies, we need a clutch. And they all bring their clutch designs. And then we kind of edit together, design together, and then come up with a whole collection of little goodies. So it's mostly all accessories, headbands, jewelry, some really cute earrings. This one lady, Maureen, rocks the earrings. And so we just keep cranking out earrings. I actually have a pair of... Um, the Catherine earrings oh, yes. from Clothed and Hope. Those and I'm awesome. not wearing them today, which I should have. I was not even thinking about That's it. That's all right. Um, but I love them. And every time I wear them, I yeah. get compliments. They're amazing. And those are actually made from like repurposed roofing wire. And so anytime wow. we get a chance to, we want to reuse materials yes. that are locally sourced. Yes, I love it. Um, I was looking at your website a couple the couple days ago and I mean everything from like the beautiful aprons I mean I just love that um, there's just so many different things you even have stuff for men yeah so ladies listening you're, you need a gift for your, your man for yeah. for Father's Day exactly. or you know holidays Easter mm-hmm. you know I don't know yeah Easter bow ties that works. yeah Easter bow ties uh, does this air after Easter this might air after Easter yeah, next, year's Easter bow next, year's, next year's Easter bow ties um, you guys have things for kids 
kids. I mean, yeah. everything is beautiful. Um, you guys are a 501c3, mm-hmm. so you're a nonprofit. Um, what made you decide to go that route versus the for-profit route? And this is, um, it's one of those things where as many people as I talk to that are in this industry, um, people are always like, well, and I'm like, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer either way. A lot of yeah. companies choose the for-profit route. A lot of companies choose the nonprofit route. Yeah. Um, but I always love hearing kind of why you guys decided um, one way or the other. Yeah, so back then I really... I didn't know there was an alternative. Yeah. Um, I thought about structuring it just as a business that would resell the product. Mm-hmm. But from the very beginning, it was going to be this educational component. And so I like to talk about what we do as heavy on education, and then the product is just kind of our side gig. Yeah. So the way we structured it was just going to be more on the programming side, so it made more sense for us to be funded by donors. We could still set it up, like you said, either way. Like It totally works either way, but we've just seen for the way that God put it on my heart to start it, an immense benefit in having people like personally financially connected to the cause yeah. by being monthly donors or sponsors or sponsors or whatever like that. And it just gives us a unique platform that I don't know that we would have otherwise. So yeah. we get to share our story with so many more people um, just who are curious about nonprofits and yeah. work like this. So in those early days, um, I mean – as an entrepreneur and as somebody who's especially a socially conscious entrepreneur, like this is this is a hard industry. Oh yeah. And you were young. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm amazed when you said you were 27. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like you? I mean, because I mean, you you you're well established at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, entrepreneurship is hard, and social oh, entrepreneurship yeah. is even like seventeen thousand times harder. Oh yeah. Um, what were those early days like? So when you first got back and you said within the first six months is when you were, you know, God was really stirring in your heart mm-hmm. that this was something you needed to do. What did what did it look like in the beginning? I mean, did you even know where to start? I mean, <laughs> did you how did you sort of find those first women? How did you find the trainers? I mean, I would love to know sort of yeah. the early days. Well, for the back, like the logistical side it was mostly google i was like how do i start a nonprofit in north carolina and so the paperwork i just kind of hammered out myself i didn't think there was any other option yeah um as far as the training and the program side goes i had that one contact was one of the women who were working at that orphanage that we would volunteer at um the orphanage ended up not being a great place and it went corrupt and all these terrible things. There is a lot of that in it's really Africa, sad. that yeah. corrupt orphanages. That is something that people don't realize. Yeah. There's a lot of corruption in orphanages. It was awful. But then this one woman was amazing. And so she kind of rose up and was like, I don't stand for this. This is not what I want to do. We need a sustainable solution. And so she was also the only woman who had an email address. And so I was like, cha-ching, yep. let's talk. And so I kept in touch with her over that whole next year. So I went back in the summer of 2011 to just check in on this woman Alina Mm -hmm. and she gathered up a group of her friends and it was more of just an interest meeting like a focus group almost to say would this work in your community does this even make sense is something you want like I don't want to just bring you something that doesn't make sense right and so it was her and her friends that formed the very first class and I thought I knew how to do like the sewing portion and it was kind of hilarious because we were just like making tiny little things and that was like fine but I only had home ec twice in, in like public high school and that was my <laughs> only training and for some reason I thought it'd be a good idea to do this but then I found this woman who was like she was a housekeeper at a house that I was house sitting for and I got to know her and talk to her her name was Mrs. Mulenga and I said what is your dream like I don't I don't know if your dream is cleaning houses. Maybe it is, but what is your dream if you could do anything in the world? 
she said, well, I taught myself how to sew and I want to be a sewing teacher. And I was like, hello. Uh, yeah. It was oh my, amazing. That's a God thing right oh, there. Yeah. And so she has been our teacher ever since then. Wow. And she has taught another student who is a graduate of ours and how to also teach. So we have two teachers. And it's oh. amazing. So everything's local. My goodness. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I preach so much to people, especially with some of these organizations um, and organizations like yours. Um, and then I have a, f- a friend who runs the Mighty River Project. Um, mm-hmm. They were on episode, I think, f- uh, Aaron was on episode like four, I think. Um, but w- that's what I love is like when you have people who are native Mm -hmm. they live there they are from the area Mm -hmm. they speak the language Um, that's so vital because that is what does create that long-term sustainability rather than it's like hey look at me i'm the american who's coming in and telling you what to do yeah you know what i mean Um, you're providing that support you're providing that hand up Mm -hmm. and not a handout and when they see that a woman in their community is the one yes leading the way they're like oh i can do that too that's an attainable goal i can make it happen it really is so that's been invaluable I knew that I wanted local input but I didn't think that the leadership portion would happen for like five or ten years and then by year three it was completely Zambian run so I was like all right that's fine with me I would kind of work myself out of a job here but for the best case that's amazing so when you went back I guess in summer of 2011 how long did you how long were you there that that time I was only there for a week so that was really just to set everything up and get an idea for fundraising for the next year. I still had another year of school. So mm-hmm. I went back for that following school year with more of a refined vision of what what are we going to do? How do I pitch this to donors and get people excited about it? Yeah. And still, even then, it was a little different idea than what it turned out to be. Yeah. But we really walked away with some crucial points. Like the women said, first and foremost, we have to be wives and mothers. And as much as we just want to be these entrepreneurial like divas, we have to do our wife and mother responsibilities. So we can't come to class for six days a week. We can only come for two days a week for two hours a day. So a lot of their input really helped structure our program. Yeah. And we took those things and we've kept those rules ever since. And it just keeps it very, um, it makes sure that they're able to balance while also working right. towards a goal. Yeah. So when when you first, so you you then you got back. You had a more clear vision. You spent the next year fundraising. Mm-hmm. What did that next year and the next couple early years look like? Um, so for the year that was fundraising, it was really just taking any speaking gig of anyone who wanted to listen to me. And I am not a natural speaker, so I was like, "Well, this is interesting that now I have to do all of this." <laughs> and I never really wanted to. God's like stretch, stretching yes. all of your all of your talents, all of your skills. Yes, and I needed that because in 2012, two months after I graduated, I moved there by myself, and I thought that would be cool. But now looking back, I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Like a 21-year-old girl in Africa by herself. I mean, people do it all the time. Uh, but but I wasn't agreeing that that was a terrible idea. I realized like after I was, I was like, yeah, that was a terrible <laughs> idea. No, I just, I was, I was, I was. You were feeling it. I was feeling it. Yes. <laughs> I totally get that. So when like college, I meet with a lot of college women now and they're like, oh, I want to follow in your footsteps. I'm like, please don't. Like just wait a few years so you know who you are. And like you can do Africa also, but I know that I did it. I don't have regrets about it, but it was hard mm-hmm. and I had to learn everything the hard way. And I had to figure out who I was as a person in my formative twenties while living in a developing nation and running a nonprofit and doing all these things. And how, how long were you there? 
I was there for about a year and a half. I would come home a few times to do some fundraising things, but it was a total of around a year and a half. And yeah. also in that span, I started dating a guy who I met in college. We got engaged. I came home to get married. It was like this crazy whirlwind of three years. Wow. And so when you came home to get married, did you come home to stay or did I, he go back with he you? He came back with me. So we wow. were home for two months and then we moved over there. He had only visited for a couple of weeks that, that August before we got married. And then we packed up our bags and we're like, see ya. And then that was also a pretty terrible idea. Oh, my God. But it needed to happen. Like, we are where we are because we did what we did. Yeah. And so I know that God had a purpose. It was just not pretty and not super easy. Yeah. But it what was, was that like? I mean, your first, basically your first year. Yeah. I mean, how long did you guys live we were there? Together for a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So how, what was that first year and a half of your marriage like living was, in Zambia? <laughs> I mean, it was adventurous and it was challenging and it was rich and I wouldn't trade it for the world because we did so many cool things together. We learned way more about each other because we didn't didn't know a ton of people and we didn't have this community surrounding us right off the bat. So we just had to cling to each other and it wasn't always pretty, but I feel like we grew so much in those first few months and years that I wouldn't trade for the world. Yeah. Were you able to develop like some friendships there and community? Yeah, absolutely. We plugged in with a church there that was like a South African church plant, which was amazing. And there were people from all over the world in our small group. It was like Zambians, Americans, Australians, people from the UK. It was like the coolest thing where you could experience so many different worldviews and cultures while still having our faith in common. That's amazing. So, yeah, I wouldn't trade that for anything. That was awesome. And, like, Sundays, you can go to this little elephant orphanage and watch them feed elephants these little bottles. Yeah. And, like, where, what else can you do that on a Sunday afternoon? Yeah, my it's actually, cool. my most recent trip to Kenya, we went to an elephant orphanage. Oh, yeah. It's the best. I know. They're so cute. They really are. The little tiny elephants. You're just like, well, I mean, they're actually not that tiny. They're about yeah, they're, they're pretty huge. They're pretty huge. And they're, like, babies. Yeah. Baby babies. And then you're like, well, that's really, that's massive that's oh, a yeah. massive animal uh i like to think that god had a little bit of extra fun when he made elephants and giraffes oh yeah and zebras really all like african all animals. African, yeah well they, and then tigers too but yeah. tigers aren't in africa they're like in asia yeah <laughs> most animals god had a lot of fun with let's that's just true. say that but there's you know animals like elephants and giraffes and tigers and zebras those are just really fun anyway we're not here to talk about animals so <laughs> But now I'm like, oh, I really want to go back to Africa. Oh, yeah. Um, so over the next few years, so you were living in Zambia. You're newlywed yeah. living in Zambia, which I feel like we could do an entire podcast. You could just tell us stories from your time in Zambia mm-hmm. as a newlywed. Um, so then you guys, what made you guys decide to leave and come back to the United States? Like, when did you know it was time? When, when did you know that, you know, this is what we need to be doing now? It was probably the end of 2014. We had been there for about a year. And we just started feeling like the tide was kind of changing. It was this That sounds like very ethereal, but it kind of was. Um, we just felt like God was closing some doors there. But for me, it was like my baby. And I was like, I'm not leaving. This is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. This is where I saw myself forever. Like I'm not going to leave. Um, but God had to do a lot in my heart to kind of say, this is not it for you. This is not the best thing in your life. And it's not the only good thing in your life. Um, And then practically, I just started getting myself worked out of a job by training all these women to run it. That was our goal. And so I was really excited about that. But it also was kind of like sad to be like, oh, I don't have a place here anymore. 
Um, I still obviously have a place when I go and visit and still very much a part of the program there. It's what I do full time here now. But my day to day just started looking different where the women said, hey, we got this. We don't need you to run to town to do this. We don't need you to help us form the curriculum because we got it. Mm-hmm. And there just started to be this space that I wasn't needed at. And yeah. it was it was hard, but it was exactly what we wanted for the organization. Yeah. So I couldn't complain. Um, what language do they speak in Zambia? Um, in Lusaka, they speak Nyanja, but we also have like a village program there. They speak solely because there's 86 tribal languages. Yeah. Kenya is very similar. Oh, it's crazy. Where it's like they all, I mean, it's, it's good in that Kenya, like they most speak English or like some English. When I say most, I say a lot speak mm-hmm. English. Um, and then, but then they have, Swahili is like the national language, but then there's, yeah, there's, I mean, like it's crazy. 90 billion <laughs> tribal yeah. languages and they, and it's amazing because they all know of them. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I'm just like, what? Like how? D-? Yeah. It's amazing to me. Yeah. It's pretty shocking. I'm like, I know one and I know part of yours, but I'll never be able to learn all of yours. So I know like some of the language. Yeah. But I was going to ask that, how was the language barrier? It's, I mean, it was, it was easier at first because a lot of the women also spoke English and it got to be harder. The, we started finding women who were from a little bit harder backgrounds, but they didn't have that English education in mm-hmm. school because they didn't finish third grade. Mm-hmm. So once we started finding more of like vulnerable women who really, really needed the class is when that language barrier became more apparent. But yeah. all of the staff are dual, uh, not even bilingual. They're like multilingual. Yeah. And so they could translate whenever I needed to teach something. But then again, I didn't teach anymore. So there wasn't that much of a problem. Yeah. Now, even when I go, it's mostly me talking to the staff and continuing to train them. And when I want to talk to a student, there's plenty of people around who can help me translate. Yeah. They say that if we, if I wanted to be fluent in Nyanja, it would take learning three hours a day, five days a week for three years. Oh my I goodness. Like, I don't have the time for that. I'm sorry, guys. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I learned what I can and I still try to like pick up bits and pieces every single time I go. But I just don't know if that's attainable right now. Oh my goodness. So we'll see. Well, it's funny because I actually have a goal this year to continue learning Swahili. I, I've cool. always like, I mean, I know a few Kukuyu words. Um, and each time I go back to Kenya, like I learn, I pick up more Swahili. And I, I think it's because I actually, I learned when I was growing up, I, in elementary school, I was in a French immersion program. Cool. And so I learned, like I spent half my day in French and half my day in English. So I learned French from like kindergarten first grade through eighth grade Mm -hmm. um i've forgotten most of it yeah (laughs) i can still read it and like i can definitely like if i'm reading something i can for the most part pick it up and understand but like speaking it uh, (laughs) my recall isn't very great um and part of that is because then when i got to high school i was like i'm gonna take spanish and then that completely (laughs) messed up everything because French and Spanish are so similar. Yeah. And so now if I try to speak it, like half the sentence is French and half of it is Spanish and it doesn't make any sense. Oh, no. Um, but I think because like my brain, I got trained to learn the language and then hear, mm-hmm. like hear the actually the way that things are said. So every time I go back, I end up like picking up more. And by the end of this last trip, like I was doing like by day eight, I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, yeah, I'm fluent Swahili. And oh. so I would say stuff and they would be like, you are Kenyan. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you get so much respect that way. They really, they really do appreciate it. And it's one of those things, like, even if I would say something and completely mess it up, like, they appreciate yeah. that you're trying. The effort, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And it's just fun. So, But I've, I have downloaded these apps to, like, learn Swahili. So I try to refresh myself on what I learned when I was there. And then my goal is, like, once a week, I try to learn 
a new word. That's awesome. Because I'm like, I've, I realize like I'm not going to have the t- three hours a day, oh, yeah. <laughs> six days a week for yeah. three years to sp- devote to it. But, you know, I, I figure if I just like keep practicing, um, then I'm like, well, maybe then the next time I go, I'll know a little bit more and then yeah. I'll le- keep learning. But I don't know. You know, it's that one of those fun. things. Um, so what does Clothed in Hope look like today? Um, obviously, like I know you said that you that this is your full time mm-hmm. job. This is what you do. Um, and you actually just got back from another trip to Zambia a couple yeah, like of weeks a month ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is what does your role look like today? Does your husband still do it with you or does he do? He does another job now because we came back and we were like, oh, um, maybe we need some money to live in America. Yeah. And so he he works somewhere else, which yeah. is nice. He still helps out when he can and he visits when he can. Um, but every like the day to day stuff for me is just a lot of fundraising, networking, communications. I love the storytelling part. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I get a chance to kind of bring some of the stories over, the ladies share with me in Zambia. I like to share it with our donors, kind of cultivate that interaction. I want it to be like a mutual connection instead yeah. of donors just feeling like they're giving. I want them to also feel like they're receiving something. Yeah, feel like they're they have they're connected and they're yeah. a part of it. That's really important to me. And then in Zambia, it's just running perfectly. So we have ten local staff there. We have two instructors. We have three locations about to start our fourth location soon, wow. which is so wild. And we have about 160 ladies who have come through a program. It's amazing. And it's just spreading like wildfire. We have like two different slums who are also interested in having a center. But I'm like, wait, I don't know if we can grow this fast. So it's hard to like discern when to say yes, when to say no, because there's always going to be need. There's so many people there, even in the capital city, that it's a challenge. But we're just doing what we can and doing it well. Yeah. And when God says grow, we'll grow. So That's we'll amazing. Yeah. So the main focus now, obviously, is, you know, teaching and training and mm-hmm. enabling these women to become self-sustaining entrepreneurs. Right. Um, you know, and ultimately, that prevents orphans. Yeah. Unnecessary orphans. Um, so what is sort of your, what is your vision for just continuing to grow in that you're reaching more women. Um, do you have, I mean, do you have other grand divisions of it, uh, of what you're going to do and, and sort of like, what is the next, you know, two, three, five, yeah. ten years look like for the Clothed and Hope? We just want to keep replicating what we've built. So we yeah. have like a model, it's in the Nombe compound, and that was where we started everything. And that's really where our program is still centered. But the two other locations, we just started one of them last year. And so we want to keep adding more locations that are locally run. There has to be a group of women in that community who are already willing to step up and kind of run with the pilot program. Yeah. So we just want to keep see it replicating and spreading around the rural areas, more in the urban areas. And that's kind of the dream is just to continue this, like the entrepreneurial model. And we also issue microloans. We just want to see maybe some of the smaller yeah. scale businesses move up to medium scale and for those people to even be able to hire people. Yeah. So it's more of business development for the people who have been around for a while and then continuing the entrepreneurial focus for the women who keep coming. That's amazing. And yeah. What are some of the challenges that you guys have faced over the years? I mean, obviously we've, we talked a little bit about, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine what it was like to be starting a nonprofit, living in Zambia for the first year and a half of your new marriage. Yeah. Um, So obviously there were some challenges there. Oh yeah. Um, What have been some of the, you know, what are the challenges that you face kind of today? I mean, what, I mean, obviously, as just as life changes and things change, what are the things that you run into that can be difficult? 
Um, that's tricky. I feel like things are going pretty well over there. Not to say things are perfect. Yeah. I think it's more of just me keeping up with the momentum over there. Where I'm just one person here. We have one other employee in Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah. And it's up to us to fundraise all this money to keep the program going. And that part is hard. Wow. So the women there have such drive and such ambition, which is so countercultural and so against the grain of what they're told their whole lives. Yes. That that part is a miracle. And we want to run with it, but we also have to keep up. So that's just been the constraint, I think, is just being able to keep up capacity-wise with yeah. what the women over there are doing and running with. And then obviously, just as you grow, it just keeps – you have to keep up with the quality control of your program, the quality control of your products. Yeah. And that's just something we're constantly improving upon. Yeah. But it's a good thing. That's amazing. And I love hearing what you're saying about just the – those women having that driving and having that passion, that creates a ripple effect because that affects everyone in their community. Mm -hmm. Um, I was having this conversation with, I think it was maybe Liz Bohannon um, when I had from Seiko Designs. I I think it was on her episode. I don't know. Sometimes things blend Mm -hmm. together. Um, But we were talking about what the impact, the the long-term sustaining impact Mm -hmm. of investing in women does. And in and I was reading an article the other day um, or a couple weeks ago where if you invest in a woman, she is l- like in a developing nation. She invests 90 percent of her income back into her own community and I her family. It. Yeah. Um, whereas men, it's actually closer to about 50 to 60 percent hmm. of their income, sometimes even less. Yeah. That's like on the good side. Men oh, yeah. invest that much back in their community, again, in developing nations. Um, and so when you're and when you're investing in a woman, you know, she's getting encouraged to t- be, get an education. She's mm-hmm. taking care of her family. She's, in, you know, supporting others in her community. I mean, it's just I'm like it makes me it's like it makes me think of that Beyonce song. Oh, yeah. like, Who run the world? Girls. Like, it's true. Like, it's so true. And um so to hear just the what you've been able to build there is, I mean, it's inspiring. Thanks. I think we're most excited, obviously, about the stories that are happening now. Yeah. There's like very real life change happening for women who have suffered oppression their entire lives. But we're most excited about 10 years from now. What does that mean for that two-year-old who's been on her back yes. watching her sew and yes. learn and do what makes her proud and yeah. happy and then be able to take that kid to the clinic when it's sick or send that child to school when all the other kids never got the chance to go to school. Yeah. It's like those are the ones that we are so excited to see what's yes. going to happen. Yes. It could change this entire community, and we have no idea what it will be like. Absolutely. It'll be exciting. Can you tell the story of maybe one of the artisans that you've – or one of the women that's gone through the program? I'd love to hear yeah. more about one of them. So uh, the one that just comes up in my mind, we have these things called hope stories, mm-hmm. and for our monthly donors, they get a story every month. So the one we just did is like still fresh in my mind. And we just had a graduation at the beginning of March. And this woman is Melody and she graduated from our village program. Yeah. So that program looks a little bit different. They don't have daily classes, but we do like big chunks at a time, these big seminars. So all the women from the city, all the trainers will go out to the village, which is about three hours away and do these big intensives, but they still graduate every 12 months. So all the village ladies came into the city, some of them for the very first time in their lives, which was a huge deal. They love to buy like salt and soap, and that's their thing. So, like, let's go buy salt, which is exciting. Yeah. You never get to taste salt. Wow. Um, so, anyways, that's the village. It's very remote, very impoverished. They were always known as the village of beggars, but now it's starting to change from our involvement with them. Wow. But Melody moved to that village, I think it was about four years ago. She has 
two little kids, both from different fathers. And it turns out she is mute and she's deaf. And for a woman like that, I hate to say it, but they, I'm surprised that she's alive. Yeah. And it's terrible, the abuse that happens to children with special needs or with disabilities. Yeah. And especially in rural communities who just don't understand what's happening. Big time. Um, So it's just a lack of education and for that child. But she kind of defeated the odds, ended up in this village and as a mother of two children. Obviously, what happened to her from the fathers is not a good story because they took advantage of her. They knew that she wasn't quite up to pace with the rest of the other women in the community and just took advantage of that vulnerability. Yeah. Um, So she ended up with two little kids. She still is a single mom living in the village. But this one woman in the village is like her BFF and befriended her and was like, you have to join this group. But the cool thing is, is like I was watching them communicate because we always say we want you to share your story. I'm never going to ask a woman for her story. But if she wants to come, I'm available. Yeah. So I never want to like pull something out of them. They're not ready to share. So I hear this knock on the door in the office while I was in Zambia and Melody walks in with that little BFF lady who I've always seen her with. And they have this own little language. They don't know formal sign language. They don't know, like, all the sign. I mean, I wouldn't know if, I don't know sign language, so I wouldn't know even if they were. But I know for a fact that it was not sign language because they would make these noises and these movements. And Melody and her BFF just made their own language so they could communicate together. I love it. And it's the coolest thing. So this girl's her, like, sole interpreter and can tell you all these things where I was like, how did you just get that out of what she just did? But she tells this story of how Melody... I was like so depressed and felt like she wasn't a real person because she's been so taken advantage of her whole life. Came to the program and I think because her senses are so focused, yeah, she is like the best seamstress in the entire class. Wow! And so she graduated and she like did this little model walk to accept her diploma. <gasps> and she I was like so it. proud of herself and she was wearing this beautiful dress that she designed and she made for herself for graduation, like all <sighs> the ladies do. But it was everyone cheered her on and I think that too was amazing. In a culture that shames people who are different, everyone was just like celebrating her as a person and celebrating her uniqueness, celebrating her beauties, celebrating her accomplishments. And I just felt like the proudest little mama in the whole wide world. Oh my gosh. Because it was like this beautiful moment. And now Melody gets to be a seamstress for her kids. I'm like, and it's I'm amazing. like tearing up over here thinking about that. That's amazing. It was so amazing. And that's one of my favorite stories. And I didn't even know all that background when Melody joined our class. I knew yeah. she was mute. I knew she was deaf. And that's all I got out of her for the first 12 months that she was with us. And then in she strolls, just wanted to share it all. Wow. So it was amazing. Wow. And I know there are so many more like that, but yeah. we want every woman to share in her time when she yeah. feels like it's a safe place to share yes. on yes. her own. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That is that's That is the kind of stuff that just like, Oh, it fires me up. I get so, so fired up about it. Yeah. So I want to um, I want to kind of go back a little bit. Um, and so you grew, I mean, did when you were growing up, did you always have a passion? I mean, this is, uh-oh. Did you always have a passion for fashion? <laughs> um, like, did you know from an early age that you wanted to go and do fashion merchandising um, originally? Yeah, I knew from about sophomore year of high school. So it wasn't super early. I'm not like the trendiest person, so I don't claim to be this like fashion guru who like follows all these trends. But I just that was something that really interested me was yeah. that industry, especially the business side of it. Yeah. 
So sophomore year was kind of it for me in high school. Yeah. And I started really building my experience, retail experience, resume, internships, all that stuff to prepare me for this dream job in New York. So I, when I was a little kid, though, I still remember having this entrepreneurial spirit. Now yeah. that I look back, yeah. I would always have these like yard sales and lemonade stands, always trying to like hustle for a buck. And I even like had this lemonade stand to save the manatees, which I don't even know. Like I'm not a manatee person. <laughs> So I like I told my husband that story the other day. I was like, I have no idea why I wanted to save the manatees. Nothing that's a bad thing. But anyways, so I think that I always had this like heart for like wanting to do good with my business, but I never really recognized that because I was six years old doing a lemonade stand for the manatees. So I, I don't know. It. That's a that's adorable. But I think that's where it must have started there. <laughs> that's somehow. adorable. And now I want to have a lemonade stand for manatees. See? I'm just kidding. They just um, got taken off the endangered list in hey, case you're wondering. You know what? It could have been from my lemonade it stand. It is be- from, totally from your lemonade <laughs> stand. Um, let's be honest, guys. Amy. I really did save the manatees. Save the manatees <laughs> all by herself with her lemonade stand. Perfect. <laughs> so what... What made you decide when you were in college? I mean, obviously you were studying fashion. Um, what was the mission trip that you went on? So, what was the whole purpose? Of it? Was like, was this your first mission trip? Was you know, was it just like I'm going to go to Zambia? This should be fun. And then it's like God's like, <laughs> yeah, wait till you wait till you get oh, there. Yeah. It was um, pretty well, much exactly like that. Where it was a bucket list thing where I wanted to go to Africa, and it was with Campus Crusade. And it was going to be six weeks with 21 people who I had never met before. Yeah. And again, that's not like me, but I was like, I need to get to Africa. This is my only way. Because it was just the only trip that I could find. And we were supposed to go to South Africa, but it ended up being the year of the World Cup. So they called me like a month before we were supposed to leave. And they were like, scratch that. Let's go to Zambia. And so I was like, well, I already raised all this money. Of course I'm going to still go. But I didn't even know where Zambia was, what it was about, what they were known for. I didn't know anything about it, but I just went and I didn't really ever see it interrupting my life because the whole goal of the trip was just college evangelism. We went to the two public universities there and just did little events like student ministry partnership events. And then the weekends is where we would spend our time at that orphanage and that slum. And so I knew that it shook me somehow because it was just incredibly eye-opening. I'd never seen poverty on that level. It was really my first big mission trip, my first mission trip outside the U.S. And so I knew that it was going to do something, but it took me a while to really be open to let God use that trip to transform me. Yeah. And it totally did. Now, were you a, have you been a Christian your whole life? Are you, you know, you grew up in a Christian home kind Mm -hmm. of thing? I did grow up in a Christian home. I would say that I was a Christian most of my life, but I think that it just became super serious and real to me when I was a freshman in college. I kind of have like that pivotal moment of like, is this going to be, am I going to own this? Is this going to be mine? And if it is, then it needs to maybe look a little bit different. Maybe my words and my duties and my obligations aren't going to be enough. Maybe it needs to be lived out a little bit more. Yeah. So I feel like God really ignited that spirit within me to just say yes and to be open to hard things. And it took a lot of hard things for me to get there. Yeah. Um, so I I don't want to make it sound like those six months were really pretty because they were probably some of the hardest six months of my life of just going through re-entry and dealing with a lot of hard, hard emotions to process through. Yeah. And it felt like it was a season of pruning where God was taking away all of what I thought my life would look like. And I just had to be willing to 
follow him and trust that it would work out. And a lot of that was really scary at the beginning. Yeah. To put it all on the line, having no idea what it would look like. And at that time, I honestly thought it meant sacrificing marriage. And so a lot of that was me wondering if I could really say yes to being single for a long time. Yeah. And I finally got to that place and then why it shows up. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, oh, this is really strange. And obviously that's not how it works out. And that's not how I thought it would work out. Yeah. But that's just how God saw it fit. Yeah. Now, as you've, you know, just, I mean, we're always growing. We're always, you know, like you said, God's always pruning us. Um, as you've grown and as you've matured, how, and as you've just come so far in what you've done with Clothed in Hope, like, what have you, how have you seen your faith change and how have you seen it grow and be stretched and challenged throughout this time? Because I know that that's got to be happening. Oh, yeah. You're looking at me like, yeah, yep, yep. Oh, yeah. I think that I had to walk through a lot of suffering, whether it's my own or other people's, to yeah. understand that the character of God is all that is going to be constant. And I think I would still like hope for circumstances to work out. And I still place a lot of hope in that. I think that's all of our struggles. We all want things to work out or we all want things to be good. But I went through a lot of really hard seasons in Zambia, coming back, transitioning. And it just made me realize that the only constant is that God is God and that he's always going to be good and that I can trust in that and that he loves me. And that's about all I can bank on. And I know that sounds like really depressing, but that's really that's it. And I yeah. think that when I my heart really grasps that then everything else becomes lighter and I can experience joy and I can experience peace because I'm not putting all my eggs in some other basket. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, so, Amy, as we start to wrap up here, um, for people who want to get involved with Clothed, clothed in Hope, that can be a it's little a bit of a tongue twister. Tongue twister. Yeah. Um, so people who want to get involved. Um, what is the best way? How can they find out more? How what are what are your needs? Like what are the things that um how people can support you? Obviously by shopping the adorable things yes. that you carry. Um it's clothedinhope.org. Yes, that's correct. And there is shop tab has all the little goodies. We actually just launched our spring summer collection, Ooh. which has some amazing fabrics that we found and some really fun new designs. And also, we are in huge need of more Hope Club folks. So we have three tiers of giving members, campaigners, and champions. And champions actually get like a product of the month that is exclusive to only Hope Club champions. Oh, that's how, that's exciting. So we make like keychains and cool bookmarks, like stuff we'll never sell. But it's just a one run for these people who we are really thankful for. We're thankful for everybody. But these are the people who are really sacrificing a lot. And so we want them to feel extra connected to what we do. Yeah. So if you sign up for those tiers, you get T-shirts, bracelets, stickers, really cool perks just to kind of help you support and show the love. Yeah. And, um, well, I will certainly, I mean, I just can't say enough amazing things about you. And I'm so glad that we were able to get connected. And um, I love hearing what you're doing. And um, But not just that. I mean, I love that your vision is like you were like, I worked myself out of a job and I'm glad Mm -hmm. like that is that says so much to your heart that says so much to um, why God put you there Um, and that and I think that when you were like, well, things are going pretty well. I'm like, yeah, because when you are the type of person who just truly surrenders it all and says, hey, this isn't mine. Mm-hmm. Like, this is God's, and I'm just going to give it up, and I'm just going to let him take it. Like, that, he's blessing that. And so yeah. I love seeing that. I love hearing that. Um, the The products that you guys produce are 
gorgeous and adorable. Um, but but what you're doing to produce those products is even more amazing. Thanks. Um, so I I just thank you so much for yeah. coming on the show and for telling us all about that. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if people also want to connect with you personally online, what's the best way to do that? If they go to the contact form, this is a little secret, but uh, it goes to my email. Oh, so well, hey, there you, you can go. totally find me there. Secrets. Don't tell anyone. Secrets. <laughs> so yeah, I love responding to people's interests and their questions, anything. So hit me up on the contact form on the Clothed in Hope site. Awesome. Well, I will have all the links uh, to Clothed in Hope and how you can get involved and how you can get connected with Amy in the show notes. Um, Amy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. You are awesome. And uh, you have to come back and then, you know, we need to do a whole episode where you just tell stories from your first for your, for your first year and a half of marriage living in Zambia because I'm pretty funny. sure we could do an entire episode just on that. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. How much did you love my conversation with Amy? I I just adore her. It was so much fun to have her in the studio. Um, if you loved this conversation today, I would love for you to uh, leave some love on social media. I am at Still Being Molly on Instagram and Twitter. You can use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast, and you can use that to be able to share this show with a friend. Um, also, give me some feedback and uh, let Amy and Clothed in Hope know how much you appreciated hearing her story. Like I said, thank you guys so much for listening each week, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.